The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. He and Will Forte are in this, uh, this one clip of a movie of a hungry, hungry, hippos adaptation <laughs> uh, <laughs> welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies shows and music from two people you can definitely trust trustability varies by region no guarantee is implied Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. You the one killed our friend? That's right. I shot the boy, too, and I enjoyed it. Hey, everybody. This is uh, this is episode four of Recotopia. I'm Chris Atkinson. And I'm Jeremy Scott. And uh, welcome to all you lovely uh, uh, people out there in the chat who are joining us on uh, Patreon uh, uh love having you on uh the show and uh giving us some some comments here and there mm-hmm. and um uh today our uh, big recommend is going to be open range mm-hmm. but uh before we get into open range let's get into our, some of our smaller recommends jeremy mm-hmm. why don't you start us off it's no big deal it's so small and light it's small it's tiny it's petite it's wee itty bitty recommends all right well they, you may have seen some chatter this week on Twitter or other social media about Francis Ford Coppola making a statement about Marvel movies or mm-hmm. blockbuster films. Mm-hmm. And I can assure you, having read the full interview, that the absolute most mundane part of what he's had to say is that shit about Marvel and blockbusters. It's really just a single paragraph in what I found to be an incredibly insightful interview. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've read it. It's on GQ. I have. Um, he just, he kind of bears his soul really in an impressive way. He tells this guy things he hasn't said before in other interviews. Um, he talks about this movie he's trying to make, uh, uh, that he's been trying to make for 40 years, which sounds like it's either going to be incredible or a beautiful mess. Mm-hmm. Um but it's about love. What is it called? It's like Megalopolis. Megalopolis. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he wants this to be a movie, much like It's a Wonderful Life, that mm-hmm. people watch annually and like discuss. And here's the, here's a quote I pulled. He says on New Year's, instead of talking about the fact that you're going to give up carbohydrates, I'd like this one question to be discussed, which is: Is the society <laughs> we live in the only one available to us? And discuss it. He uh, is very humble, I thought, for a man that doesn't have to be humble. And at the same time, he casually says, because he's funding this movie, $120 million of his own money. And he casually says, it's not like $120 million is all I've got. Um, (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's just very candid. Uh, He wanted to uh, improve the ability of his vineyard to uh, understand each grape individually, but they were being fermented all together. And so he built this ginormous underground system of a hundred and some fermenters so he can hone in on which grapes are truly the best. Just a fascinating dude who's Mm -hmm. lived a a full life and has Hollywood stories. Uh, There's a bit in there where he's like, I turned down The Godfather at first. I never wanted to make The Godfather. I thought it was a really great read. Francis Ford Coppola on GQ's website. It's not paywalled or anything. And uh, I love interviews like that that aren't just cookie cutter softball stuff, but where you really kind of feel like you get to know a person. So that's my first small recommend of the week. Yeah, and since he doesn't have... I mean, he's got this movie he wants to make, but he doesn't have a movie that he's selling right. in the in the interview. It, it, give, it gives them a chance to uh, ask him questions about other things. He sounds exactly like how I've been, how I've, he's been described over the years. Even though he takes a pot shot at that uh, Easy Riders Raging Bulls book, yeah, for getting for getting something about private jets wrong in it and everything. But uh, <laughs> everything I've ever heard about Coppola is like 
that it's you know he's got he's got this way about him that tangent he goes off on tangents and uh, you don't know exactly where he's coming from a lot of times but i think that's exactly why a lot of those movies he made in the 70s are so good is yeah. because he kind of has an idea of uh he can see things that other people can't and so on and so yeah on. yeah i agree he even said i did not know this he said he owns apocalypse now outright mm-hmm. because nobody wanted to make it <laughs> yeah and yeah. uh he compared the way they looked at him then to the way they looked at him when he pitched this megalopolis movie so mm-hmm. be curious to see what it looks like whenever he finishes yeah um I recommend uh that i'm gonna go with i've been doing a lot of classics lately mm-hmm. so um this one is actually from a while back that i watched but i never got a chance to recommend it uh, you've all heard of this movie. So the movie's called Gaslight. It came out in 1944. It has Ingrid Bergman in it, Charles Boyer. It is about uh, a woman who gets married to this man, and they they move into what was her, I'm trying to remember if it was her m- mother's or aunt's old home. And during the course of them living uh, in this house, Ingrid Bergman says that she hears things at night and she has objects that mysteriously move around the house that she knows that she didn't move around the house that her husband just ultimately says, none of this is happening. This is all in your head. This is, you know, this isn't real. Um, she starts off this is what sort of the the tragedy of gaslight is that she starts off so happy and she's completely normal and totally in love with this guy and he seems equally in love with her and they're in they're at their their happiest but every every time she says something that just sort of like and we don't know exactly what this dude's deal is yet or why he's doing this uh, but every time she stumbles on something or sees something that's wrong or hears something that she thinks is wrong, he tells her that she's not uh, experienced. And she's and he slowly breaks her down into this kind of a mess uh, as the movie keeps going further and further. And even when she thinks that she's better um, and he's like, no, you're he, like every time she wants to go out, he's like, He's like, no, we, we, you can't go out. You're not well. Every time just basically says, no, you're not well. Even like in the very beginning, like just a little bit off, just maybe a tad bit off. And so he breaks her down methodically. Meanwhile, there's a detective played by Joseph Cotton who notices some things that are weird about their living arrangement and, and what's going on. This the husband seems to go out at night and just takes walks or whatever. When she's by herself at her house, the gaslight of the, the the lights around the house and everything dims slightly, and she doesn't know what the reason is for that. And of course, anytime she brings it up, he his, her husband's there is like that's not actually happening. Um, the uh, you know Joseph Cotton finds out that there's definitely something going on wrong with this this house, this couple. Something's on off about this guy. He starts investigating. He starts seeing some digging into this guy's past, um, uh, which a very intriguing past, by hmm. the way. And uh, he starts to he starts to. Uh, be suspicious of him and he even follows him at one point where he's walking and the guy just disappears and he's like where in the world is he going and they kind of figure out that this guy is going back into the house why is he going back into the house well i'll let you the dear viewers of uh, of of gaslight future viewers of gaslight find out what's going on here mm-hmm. we got at uh, least one there in jc yeah, jc <laughs> jc says puts gaslight on the list to watch and yes, uh, you cannot be disappointed by this movie. This movie is great all around. Ingrid Bergman's one of my all-time favorites. And this is one of her best performances I've ever seen. Uh, to to see how much she breaks down during this is heartbreaking. Hmm. Because you know, you're like the movie does kind of make you think maybe she's... Maybe she is really like kind of crazy or something. Maybe she's not all the way there. I don't know what it is. But you start you will know pretty soon that like wait a minute i think he i think this dude is this dude's evil i don't know what's going on but this dude is evil so is this i'll show my ignorance is this where the phrase originates gaslighting yeah oh excellent yes this is exactly where it comes from uh was not uh don't know when people started using this as a verb but it means exactly what the husband is doing to ingrid bergman in this movie where she says that i see things and i hear things 
that she's obviously hearing and seeing and then someone tells you that you're crazy for for seeing or hearing those things um and that's why now it's become a huge thing because we 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 live in this disinformation misinformation media and everything and a lot of things that people see right in front of their eyes people are denying like you did like you're crazy so um that's uh yeah that's exactly where that comes from excellent good recommend man this show Mm -hmm. is eclectic I can't say yeah. that I'm part of the show. Um, yeah, going, yeah. I'm going off prep. That's one of my favorite things to do. And I'm going to recommend a, a graphic novel combined book compendium mm. thingy do. I don't know mm. what they call it. Omnibus, I think, is what it's technically called. Oh, really? And it's Batman Night of the Owls. Now, I have read this twice. Um, once uh, a few years ago on a plane and then once a few months back. Uh, what's neat about this one um, is that it runs, if you were buying all these issues as they came out, you would have had to buy uh, issues of two separate Batman books, a Robin book, a Nightwing book, a Birds of Prey book, uh, because it, the story ran through all of those books. And uh, Night of Owls is about basically this court of owls, this uh, shrouded society that for hundreds of years or more has controlled the fate of Gotham by pulling strings. Um, And they were heretofore unknown to us, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, they have assassins called Talons, who are basically badasses. And this Night of the Owls, a bunch of Talons attack Bruce Wayne in the Batcave, and he has to, like, defend his own home. Um, Some go after Nightwing. Uh, Some try to assassinate a guy at Arkham. And so each of those characters I mentioned, right, Red Hood is even in this. Um, they are mm. all tracking down some lead or some assassin or following up some investigation, and it all culminates uh, in uh, some really interesting stuff. And I, I have a lot of Batman omnibus books. I'm a big Batman guy, but you don't often see the full Bat family in those. It's usually maybe maybe, you know, Batgirl's in, oh, she's in that too, Batgirl's in this. Maybe Batgirl will be in one, or Robin will be in one, but not the whole family uh, trying to solve the same crime. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I really like it. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up is that I think there may be a little bit of this in the upcoming The Batman movie. Um, In this particular story, there's some more exploring of Batman's uh, ancestry, uh, which I think this movie is going to do. Of course, this movie also looks like it has a lot of the long Halloween in it, which is weird because the long Mm -hmm. Halloween was heavily pulled from for the Dark Knight. So um, there's a lot of Batman stuff to pull, of course, but this is one that I really enjoyed and you can probably find it on Amazon or your local comic shop. Who are, uh, who's, uh, you said it's an omnibus, so there's several different comics that are in this? Yes, and uh, and artists. The main writer is Scott Snyder. He's relatively famous and the main artist Mm -hmm. is Greg Capullo. Again, I think one of the more famous DC artists. Uh, but there are dozens of writers and artists uh, throughout this thing. So, mm-hmm. all right, great. That's uh, it. Sounds awesome. I, I've I've read the Long Halloween and I've read a uh, few others, but uh, not not nearly as many as I probably should. So, well, there you go. Uh, Another one to put on the list. Yeah. Um, my second smaller recommend is uh is an Apple TV show called The After Party. Both Jonathan and Aaron were jumping all over this show and saying you got to watch this. So, you know, took me a couple days to get through the six episodes that are currently available. The After Party uh concerns a, an after party that comes after a 15 year high school reunion. Uh, Dave Franco is this uh this uh since they've last seen him in high school he's become this huge pop star named xavier and uh and there's a a number of people in here like ivana glazer there's sam richardson there's uh um uh was it uh, ike barinholtz is in this there's a million people that you've uh, you've seen before comic actors who were great oh uh um uh, what's his name ben schwartz is in this oh yeah and so uh, so this guy, Xavier, the very beginning, very first thing in the episode is you hear, Oh no. And, and then you see, uh, Xavier fall to his death from, uh, from the balcony of his house. And so, uh, in comes detective Tiffany Haddish, who, uh, is, uh, being told by her department 
we don't want you to do too much investigating. We want uh, this other guy that we're calling in to do it, but she's taking it upon herself to do all the investigating because she thinks this other guy is going to fuck everything up. <laughs> so, so she's conducting interviews. And so every interview is, you know, if you want to talk about uh, Rashomon type stuff and everything, every interview tells you a different perspective of the story, starting at the 15 year high school reunion and then going on to the after party. And everybody's got their own little stories from, uh, you know, from uh, uh, what happens at the at the uh, high school and what happens at the after party. Uh, Sam Richardson's in love uh, with this this one woman. Uh, she he was in love with her in high school, but never got around to, to asking her out or anything. And then she ended up ma- marrying Ike Barinholtz. And at the very moment that this po- at this point in time, Ike Barinholtz has just been found cheating on her with Ivana Glazer. So, <laughs> so this is they're about to get divorced, and he, Sam Richardson thinks this is this is the time I'm going to finally get my chance with her. And her name's Zoe something. I've never seen her before, <laughs> um, but she plays a character named Zoe too. How convenient! How convenient! Um, yeah, uh, but. Uh, uh, so yeah, all of the, every episode so far has been Tiffany Haddish gets one of the guests at the after party to tell their side of what's going on. And everybody's got this, you know, well, this is, this is what was going on. And everybody's got like slightly different takes. And obviously, except for the Ben Schwartz one, which is an all musical one, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it's not all musical, but like he comes in, there's like two or three songs in the Ben Schwartz one. Um, uh, but, uh, it's funny listening to the different lines that get writ uh, that get said on everybody else's perspective. Like, you know, like, uh, there's a, uh, Xavier has set up this big thing full of shrimp or something. At some point he hears, you hear, he calls it a, a prawn thing. Another time it's a shrimp thing. Another time, you know, it's like everybody's got a different oh. take on what he said, you know, and, and, and that happens throughout the, it's what's probably going to be pretty good for rewatch value on this show is that going back and sort of hearing what everybody s- says after the, after the fact, um, after you've seen it for the first time. But, uh, so far this has not finished, uh, as, as of this recording, there's two more episodes left. So All it's right. very funny. Uh, it's, it's from Lord and Miller. Oh, okay. Even better. And yeah, buried and, the lead. Uh, yeah, I did bury the lead, didn't I? Uh, Lord and Miller are part of this. There's even some uh, fun little cameos in the first episode where you see like Channing Tatum shows up in some movie. Uh, uh, Dave Franco is is a is you know he's a pop star, but he also acts. So he they're in this. He and Will Forte are in this uh, this one clip of a movie of a hungry hungry hippos adaptation. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and uh and so um it's uh it's 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 really funny it's got a lot of like you know just fun little gags in it and everything so yeah the after party uh is uh, is a lot of fun i feel like so. apple tv's finally getting their content shit together right like mm-hmm. the first year or two out of the gate they didn't have much that looked all that interesting or got that much buzz and then ted lasso came along and started the whole thing. Of course, they had Coda, one of the bigger movies of the year, at least from awards perspective. Now they've got this show. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, maybe they're getting their stuff together. All right. There's another one There's another one that I want to see that they've been advertising for called uh, Separation or sep- it's something that's a work thing. Severance. Has, uh, Adam- Severance that's, has Adam Scott. And Ben Stiller's directing that. Yeah, yeah, it looks pretty good, and that's another one that I'm kind of interested in. Kind of want to see. Yeah, um, I uh, I saw that trailer and I thought, oh, this seems like a pretty cool episode of Black Mirror. But then shit starts going crazy, and well, maybe that's what Black Mirror is like too. But uh, yeah, that's a series <laughs> I'll have to check out. Black Mirror, like I know you had, I know you don't watch it, and and I still feel like you should. Uh, Black Mirror is basically all about technology run amok, yeah. like how technology fucks you in every chance. It, like there's ways that people didn't think about, you know, that ends up fucking them by the end of the episode. It's Twilight Zone meets, you know, I don't know, Terminator or something. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> it's uh, not Terminator. They should put that on the poster. Uh, let's yeah. move on to the big recommend. All right, everybody. It's time to talk about better help. Better help. Listen, have you ever had a conversation with a friend or a spouse or family member that was deep 
and educated you and went back and forth for a good long while. And you got done. You were like, that was an excellent conversation. Usually when I have those experiences, I feel good afterwards. I feel better afterwards. And so the point I'm trying to make is that baseline, just talking to people is healthy for you. It's healthy for your brain. Uh, BetterHelp goes several steps beyond that by providing licensed professional therapists, usually in your area, and you can talk to them and it's not just going to be shooting the breeze or having a deep conversation because they are trained. They've gone to school for this. They have years of experience. They are trained to help you navigate your mental health issues and find ways to mitigate how those things impact your daily life. BetterHelp allows you to do this in any way you choose, by video chat, by phone, by text, by email. Uh, you can go into, you have your own little dashboard, you can send messages to your therapist, you can schedule your next session in there. And we have an offer for you from BetterHelp. If you go to betterhelp.com slash recotopia, R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A, you can get 10% off your first month with the discount code Recotopia. You just have to answer a few questions and then they will help find the right therapist for you. There are different specialties in therapy. Um, so these questions are designed to help you know, them determine what kind of issues you're dealing with. Some people need marriage counseling. Some people need addiction counseling. Some people need therapy for uh, depression or anxiety. And so, you know, answer these questions. They're not asking you super personal information. Uh, and then they're going to get you matched with a the therapist and you can get started right away. If you go to betterhelp.com slash Recotopia and use the discount code Recotopia, you can get 10% off your first month and start getting help today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed yeah, so the big recommend this uh, this week is Open Range. This is what Jeremy picked for us to watch mm -hmm. uh, this week. And uh, this is a movie that uh, I saw in theaters when I was working at uh, the Hollywood 27, and I have not seen it until a couple days ago. And what was your impression? Uh, yes, uh, this movie is really good, and I'm going to say one thing that I think is bad about it. Yeah, I have one it's too. the Kevin Costner, Annette Benning yeah. Uh, thing. Yeah, yeah not believable whatsoever well agree uh and then it takes too much time after that it takes up a whole good section before a gun f fight happens and then after the movie is essentially over yeah. it takes another like long time after that ever if i could just cut those out yep this movie solid like a hundred like a hundred percent a plus yep. movie and it's the it's the it's the least believable chemistry because Costner and Duvall have so much chemistry in this movie. Mm -hmm. When he gets scenes alone with Annette Benning, it doesn't feel real to me. I don't feel like that, that chemistry is real. I actually wrote down, I'm not sure I need the marriage proposal stuff at the end. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think you could cut everything about that romance. You can keep that character. Um, mm -hmm. She's important, especially at the end. Um, yeah. 
open range for those of you who didn't get a chance to watch it. It's about uh, some free grazers, some people who are moving cattle from one place to another, uh, but they uh, just graze off the land. And th- th- this is frowned upon by people with money. Uh, I mean, there are there are some common... I'm not familiar with the patolo- politics of this. I am not either. Now, I know that Michael Gambone plays the local, you know, town rich man who bosses people around that's a, that's kind of a western trope that there's mm-hmm. a, a rich guy in town who owns the law and all that stuff uh, yep. and he hates free grazers and at one point he does say get your cattle off my land so mm-hmm. i wonder if he does own the land that they're grazing on and then you're dealing with a trespassing issue maybe um mm-hmm. But this is also back in a time when not every chunk of land was owned by somebody. And it doesn't seem like such a big deal to me that somebody should let their cows eat some grass uh, three miles outside of a city. No one's using yeah. that grass. And I don't know, maybe maybe this is something at the beginning I missed, but uh, I didn't get the sense that they were upset about it until Abraham Ben Ruby goes back to uh, get some su- supplies. So I didn't get the sense that anything was happening up until that point. Right. Because I don't think it is. I don't think the, the, the local Baron, uh, Gambone, I don't think he knows the free grazers are there until Ben Ruby comes into town mm-hmm. and then they jump him, uh, beat him up, put him in jail. And so, uh, from there they, they're like, well, we, we better go get our guy. He hasn't come back from town yet. And they get into town, and then that's when they get told off by basically the sheriff who's corrupt. And he's like, don't take the free grazers here. Get your man. Get out of town. And get mm-hmm. Keep on moving. Well, this is Robert Duvall, who, in my experience, largely only plays stubborn characters. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's a good-hearted dude. Uh, he's just an old cowhand, uh, but he's not going to be told where he can and can't graze his cattle. Um, so they go back out to their wagon. And there's also a kid with them, um, uh, Button, they call him, and that's uh, Diego Luna. <clears throat> so there are there are foursome of cattle drivers. But then there's some men in hoods over a ridge staring at them. And they go out to meet them, and the men run away. And that's when Duvall, whose name is Boss Spearman, says, I know, that, I know men like Baxter my whole life. He aims to have this herd or scatter it to the wind. And so they decide they're going to sneak off in the middle of the night and jump these guys. And they do. And it's a freaking awesome scene because mm-hmm. they absolutely humiliate and beat the shit out of these guys. This scene, too, by the way, um, I, we often complain about uh, scenes that are shot in close up, in dark, and, and edited quickly. But there's something about this one which has a lot of those same elements. That's done exactly right, and I can't, I don't know, I don't know enough uh, to say what it is, but it's like every time something happens, it feels right that that action happens on screen Yeah. at the very moment that they cut to it. It's a very well put together scene. I feel like this is one that they, that Kevin Costner probably like really, really like made sure was, was good before it got sent out. Oh and yeah, that one it's excellent. Oh yeah, and and Costner, if we didn't mention, is the director here as well as one of the two stars. Um, and I, I meant to lead, I meant to open with. There are three kinds of Costner movies I will always be up for watching: westerns, mm-hmm. sports movies, and movies mm-hmm. where he plays a serial killer who has an imaginary friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So uh, while they are jumping these guys in the woods, unfortunately, some other bad guys are jumping. Button and Moe's, uh, who's been Ruby, uh, back at mm-hmm. the wagon. So Costner and Duvall race back, uh, and they find that Moe's, uh, Ben Ruby, is dead. Uh, the dog is dead, because mm-hmm. only bastards shoot dogs. That's and right. they have shot Button, who's a kid. I believe at one point they call him a 16-year-old kid. Uh, uh- yeah, I'm not sure if he's still like. I think they find him when he's 16, because apparently it's like when he was eating stuff out of dumpsters or yeah, whatever. Yeah. They found him around. That's where they find him. Uh, but yeah, he is young, no matter what. Yeah, and so and the, and the wagon is all ransacked and busted, and you know, first things first, they take the kid to go see the doctor. There's a doctor that lives just outside of town. And that's where Annette Benning keeps falling in love with Costner. Um, mm-hmm. But this is where momentum starts to build. It's I said last episode, this is a slow burn. Like, mm-hmm. 
you know from this point, at this point, you know there's going to be a big fight at the end of this movie. Um, but I enjoy the skirmishes along the way where they they shout down the sheriff in the diner and they go outside and they're having this argument because <laughs> Costner had an idea and Duvall didn't like it. And then Duvall changes the subject and goes, how do you like my speech in there? <laughs> Costner goes, <laughs> liked it. Um, <laughs> they end up in a bar where they order a couple of shots and the bar is owned by Baxter, the town baron. So the bartender refuses to serve them and they go ape on him. Uh, mm -hmm. Costner throws a glass down the length of the bar that smashes in the bartender's ear. And then he ultimately has to pull out a shotgun and shoot the no free grazer sign. And mm -hmm. then he goes, now we'll have our drinks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of great line delivery in here and it's written, you know, real folksy cowboy like, um, and then they do the ballsiest thing I think I've ever seen anybody do in a Western like this. They go straight to the sheriff's office because they find out his men are waiting to kill him. And they take the sheriff prisoner and put him in jail and chloroform his ass. And yeah. then when those dudes <laughs> come back, they chloroform their asses and put him in jail. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that all leads to what is, I think, one of the best gunfights in any Western I've seen, at least any modern Western. Um, it goes on for about 25 minutes. Yeah. There are moments at right after it starts for about six minutes. It's the wild West version of the shootout in heat after the bank heist. <laughs> yeah. In terms yeah. of everything is staged very well. Watching it this time, I was really impressed with the continuity um, in both this scene, but with the town because the town floods in the middle of the movie. <laughs> I was about to bring this up. <laughs> and then later it's muddy and still wet, and the building that fell in the flood is still falling over. Yeah. And I read on Wikipedia they built this town from scratch because Costner wasn't pleased with any of the existing Western towns that they could have used. And oh, they wow. had to build a 40-mile road, just or $40,000 on a road just to get to the filming location. That's how remote it was. And they built wow. this whole entire town out there. Uh, what did you want to say about the flood? Well, that was exactly what the, the exact thing that you brought up oh. that I, I actually laughed and not because it's, it's inherently funny. It's just that early on in the movie, they're trying to get into this uh, cafe and they have a big, huge like puddle of water that's in front of, of the thing. And they put a little plank down so that they can walk over it. The, and so Duvall gets over the plank and then the plank, falls into the water and they can't retrieve it and kevin costner has to get like all of his his feet soaked walking into the cafe but the board comes down and starts slamming up against that build that part that's getting built and then we suddenly just see it like kind of fall to the side and he says something that they will don't don't uh, be building your buildings in mud then or something <laughs> like that and um and uh, you, you totally forget about this building until it's time for the gunfight. And there's a, somebody just walking past that building in the background. You can still see it tilted. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it, it would have been something that if it was upright, you wouldn't have asked any questions whatsoever. Because right. you would have thought, yes, they, they, they must have gotten it, it back upright. Right. Uh, but, <laughs> but the fact that it's still down is not only real to probably what you, I mean, I don't know what you would do in that situation. You, I mean, you have to probably rebuild yeah, probably. Yeah. You probably have to tear um, it down. But uh, it was just, it's just like, it was a, it's just sort of a matter of fact detail that he throws in there that I just, I was like, I just kind of laughed out loud when I saw it. Um, so yeah, the shootout goes on for a really long time. It's really well paced. It's really well staged. I feel like the townsfolk creeping into the end of the battle is done in a, a, a non-cheesy way mm -hmm. where like a, a temptation there would be to have them all stand up and I am Spartacus one at a time. Uh, and that, you know, like at the end of bugs life or whatever, but um, mm -hmm. that was an odd comparison, but, but it's an apt one. Instead they're kind of, you see Michael Jeter kind of creeping and the general mm -hmm. store owners kind of creeping with the guns the, the whole time. Yeah. Uh, getting closer and closer. Uh, I just think, the whole thing is very satisfying as a sh sh Wild West shootout is concerned. Um, there's even elements of humor, if you can call it humor, 
when he walks up and says, you the guy that shot our friend? He's like, yeah, I shot the boy too, and I liked it. And boom, he's mm-hmm. dead. Yeah. Costner yeah. shoots yeah. that guy. They spent the whole movie building this guy up as this oh, badass yeah. gun hand. And that's another thing. I'm sorry. I'm, I love this movie, so I'm probably a little yeah, yeah. Um I appreciate that the movie gives us sort of an explanation for why some people are way better at aiming their guns than others. Like Costner mm-hmm. is, a, is a former gun hand and basically a sniper. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> And same with this guy that they kill, Kim, um, Kim Coates, Kim Coates. Uh, he's, mm-hmm. you know, a gun hand, but he goes on this little tick where he's like, you know, then the next group will be probably ex army, maybe former police. They're not going to be quite as good a shot. Uh, the final group will just be cow hands. They're not going to stand and fight. They're going to run at the, and so when the gun battle is happening and some bullets are hitting and some bullets are missing, there's an explanation for it. It's not just like mm-hmm. we're stormtroopering so that the heroes can stay alive and also the heroes get shot a couple times too. So yeah, um, I love everything about it. Uh, I love the relationship between those two men, uh, how it feels like there's such a history there. I'm, I'm going to stop rambling and let you ramble a little bit now. It's a, it's a different kind of Western. I mean, um, it's got the same elements of any other, like uh, there's going to be a shootout in this town, uh, you know, at the crack of dawn, high noon type movie, you know, the, the, you know, we know, we know Westerns, uh, how they, how they go about it. And usually you either have someone corrupt running the town that everybody hates and that, it, but nobody has the power to stand up against. Uh, and you have good guys who show up who, who, who want to fight those people later on, or you have some other kind of think high noon. It's, it's, it's bad guys who used to run the town are coming back to, uh, the town to, to fight. And, and Gary Cooper ends up being like, okay, well, we can't let this happen. We're going to, we're going to have to kill those fools. I remember Gary Cooper saying that we got to kill those fools. fools. We got to kill those fools. Um, but, um, this one's a little bit different because these are two guys who are minding their own business, have no intention of being in this town whatsoever. And when they get in the town, there's no real sense that they're under the thumb of somebody oppressive. Maybe it's the very beginning of something being oppressive. There's a couple of people here and there who are like, we don't really care about the free grazing thing right. that he does. Um, so, so maybe it's just the very beginnings of some of a town that's eventually going to be like something like this, you know, like something that's going to be a co- real corrupt town. But this one, you know, it 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 was kind of refreshing to see this because because there's not a there's not it doesn't follow to a T what every other shootout western does, which is there's definitely somebody bad and everybody hates this person and they can't stand up to them and then you have to have two or three good guys come in and make sure that uh, justice prevails by the end of it. Uh, so this is a little bit different from from most westerns that you've seen. It's got the same elements. I mean, it ends up with the I mean, it ends up the same way by the end, mm-hmm. but uh, but I, I enjoy that there's a, a little bit of a difference here. I don't know if Kevin Costner intended to make it like the, this town. There's not anybody like really just upset about Michael Gambon being in this, uh, being, being their leader, essentially. Don't think there's, I don't know if he meant for it to be that way. Maybe we're supposed to see that this is an oppressive place to live. But um, I, I like the fact that it's it's a little bit, a little bit different from that it's not completely there yet at least I, I i like to look at it that way that it's in the beginnings of that and it's not towards the end where we usually see these right western uh, jeffrey says he remembers they put that costner shooting coats moment um in the trailer uh, oh <laughs> and that, that apparently sold him on the movie at that moment <laughs> is you know reminiscent to me of the indiana jones moment where yeah the guy does all the sword stuff and he just shoots him or even mm-hmm. uh Young Guns, where Emilio Estevez is like, hey, I see you got Bobby Scheister or whatever his name is out there mm. with you. Mm. And he goes, shoots him. Yeah. Hey, you don't got him anymore. Uh, yeah. But uh, I hope Young Guns 2 is not like, I hope I just didn't ruin your uh, super secret double feature. Um, no, no, you didn't. Um, you, there's no way. There's not. I, by the way, I'll just I'll just tell you right up front. There's no way in fuck you could have ruined my, my double feature. Excellent. Excellent mm. news. Then I will go ahead and say... The shootout at the end here reminds me and rivals the shootout at the end of 310 to Yuma, mm-hmm. um, yep. which is also fantastically staged and shot and lasts a long time and stretches throughout 
a whole town. Um, <clears throat> I love the folksy language. I mentioned it before, but right before they go into the battle, they, they're hiding behind their wagon, uh, and Costner forgets that he has this chocolate in his pocket. Um, mm-hmm. He takes it out, and it's all melted. And Duvall's laughing at him, and Costner goes, good is good, melted otherwise. Yeah. And he starts... <laughs> putting his finger in it. <laughs> the movie is littered with those kind of interactions. Uh, it, it just feels genuine to me. Like this is how people would really talk. Anything else we want to say about open range before we move into the super secret double feature? I don't know. We, we already discussed the Annette Benning uh, romance thing that doesn't make any sense. I, I, when I say they could cut it, I honestly think they could cut it out. Like there would, you wouldn't have any remnants of that at all if you just cut in certain spots right you wouldn't have to reshoot because, the thing yeah right because there's some points where they just think that she and the doctor are married and it's only brought up later on at the bar that she's that guy's sister and uh and and then they they have a they spend the night at the doctor's place and it's only after they leave that duval says you can't leave her like this. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. You can leave her right now. There's nothing between you two at all. <laughs> nope. And uh, and I was sitting there thinking, you could cut it just when he leaves her and says, well, we're, well goodbye or whatever. They can just cut right to the next thing. And uh, and then they can cut out the ending. Yep. They can cut out the whole ending of it where after they're done with the, the, the fight. I mean, yeah. you could still have her riding in the on a horse with them later or something. I don't know. But yeah, you don't even need that. No, I mean, you could, once the fight is over, I think you can be done. And yeah, I don't even need to see Boss and Charlie riding off to let's go get our cows. And then it kind of goes slow-mo as it fades to black. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, all right. Yeah, all right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I agree. There was some bloat there. Um, unnecessary storylines, perhaps. Uh, but mm. it doesn't keep me from wanting to watch this movie um, over and over again. That final gunfight is worth the whole thing for me. But yeah. you almost need most of that slow burn up to it for that to really pay off. It's like I could watch the shootout in the middle of heat after the heist if I want, and it'd be cool. But all the stuff that leads up to it is makes it even cooler and more tense. Well, I'll say where they could have continued the slow burn and just cut out the Annette Benning stuff is they could have, uh, okay, if the fight is taken here, we will go and they'll just, they just take you through the town and all the different places that they could end up. Yeah. And they sort of map it out for you. This is something that's just woefully missing from most movies, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just me that, you know, they, they a movie. Now, this movie does kind of give you what's what's the, the 411 on everything, right? It kind of tells you, all right, we, we need to go back here where there's more guns and all that. Right. But I feel like there's a lot of movies out there that just want to, like, surprise you and be like, we don't want anybody knowing about that because that's a surprise. Well, a lot of times it's way more interesting to know what's going on before they spring something on you and you're like how'd they do that yeah and 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 i and i hate that so anyway um funny in the are we ready for the double feature let's do the super secret double feature be very very quiet secret what secret a dirty little secret i tell you something i've never told anyone the super secret double feature we're ready to do that what's funny to me is that jc mentioned lock stock and two smoking barrels which is not my double feature but it was considered ah it was highly considered ah um the main reason why lock stock and two smoking barrels is considered is because it is a bunch of people who are getting in on a situation that they don't realize they don't realize a lot of the things that are going on in the they're kind of innocence in a way they're not really innocents they're trying to steal money but like it's it's they're trying to steal dope and money i think um but there's a there's a there's a lot of like different interested parties that are all getting involved in lock stock and two smoking barrels and they just happen to get like like it's it's this movie is awesome i love i love that it, i would imagine this is going to be a uh, a full recommend uh, episode one day oh yeah lock stock 
uh, they are they they do seem to be kind of accidentally into some of the situations that they run into, and that kind of relates to open range and mm-hmm. the fact that they're, you know, these two people are walking through and they don't have any idea that there's uh, somebody out there who's like free grazing. I'm again it. Yeah. You know, there's nobody <laughs> like that. Um, but uh, the 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 movie that I have double featured with this and believe me there's a million westerns that go along with this like martin lynn lewis or whatever you want to whatever you want to call it and it goes perfectly well uh i'm not gonna you know be upset if someone came up with a western just for open range because that's what you're gonna do my double feature is trespass um the 1992 The 1992 movie starring Bill Paxton, William Sadler, Ice-T, Ice-Cube, and a host of other people from Die Hard, like like Devereaux White, who played Argyle, is in that. Uh, uh, William Sadler, of course, the bad guy, Die Hard 2. The guy who played the... um, the janitor or whatever is a Die Hard 2 plays a homeless guy in uh, Trespass. Um, uh, At first, you're going to be like, huh? Huh? How does Trespass... Uh, in, in any way relate to this movie? I'll tell you how. There, William Sadler and Bill Paxton are firefighters who, at the very beginning of the movie, are are putting out this blaze, and there's a guy that they're trying to save who's really remorseful about something he did many years ago. He stole a whole bunch of artifacts from a Catholic church, and he stashed them away somewhere in East St. Louis, Illinois. Uh, in an apartment building or a, a building that is was turned into an apartment building or something like that. Hmm. Um, Bill Paxton investigates it and is like, oh, wow, there could be actual like real gold artifacts buried in this abandoned apartment building in East St. Louis. Meanwhile, there's another story going on with ice tea, ice cube. They, uh, they see somebody on a video killing one of their own and they want to settle the score with that guy in their in their territory but somewhere where cops won't be anywhere around just so happens to be this apartment building where the where this treasure is going to be found so paxton and sadler go from arkansas to east st louis to find this treasure and they go up into this one room where there's the 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 guy drew a map of where this is supposed to be they have a metal detector all this and then suddenly they start hearing conversation outside and like there's there's some shit going down and the guy gets thrown the the guy that the that ice t wants dead gets thrown down this like a whole bunch of stories of the building and after he falls through the building guess what bill paxton's there and ice t sees him Ooh. and uh and he he gets accosted by all the 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 uh, i guess they're gangsters but they get upset when they when they're called gangsters in this but i'm uh, they're gangsters yeah i think so um and uh william sadler comes in and saves bill paxton and kidnaps what ice t considers his brother and there's a standoff inside this one room they can't go in the room because they don't ice t has this has all this affection for this guy that got stolen that's got stolen kidnapped it's Deborah white the argyle from die hard okay um and uh and they uh and the, so there's this this sort of back and forth type of thing do they find the treasure i'm gonna leave that up to you Ooh. Do they find the treasure or not? Uh, and do they are they able to get out with the treasure? Uh, so this standoff is really cool. It's like there's a lot of like sort of like um, you know there's a lot of smart stuff going on back and forth here. Like uh, you know they 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 want to escape, but the gangsters always have somebody in place mm. in wherever they are. Glenn Plummer, by the way, pre speed Glenn Clump Glenn Plummer huh. uh, is uh, pre pre showgirls glenn Plummer is a sniper that they've got set up just outside one of the windows so if they try to go out the windows they're 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 fucked and they can't go out the door because that's where the gangsters are and like uh so like uh this movie is uh is is really good i don't know 6.3 on the imdb i'm i'm a little disappointed in you voters on the imdb (laughs) for giving this a 6.3 total aggregate um the 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 uh, comparison between these two is more stark when it's towards the middle part of the movie and the 
and Ice T is asking them why they're here, asking Bill Paxton and William Sadler why they're here. And uh, and and once they start, I don't know if Ice T ever gets wind of it. Some some people never get wind of the fact that there might be gold in there, but some people do, and they're like, "This is our territory. That's our gold." Mm. Um, that, that it, it doesn't matter if you came in here to, to look for it and nobody knew about it. That's our stuff. That's our territory. And that's what's the open rangey about this is that, is that they, it's two people who have absolutely nothing to do with these gangsters whatsoever, walk in on their territory unknowingly. And, uh, they try to accomplish something that, uh, that, uh, you know, it, it ends up being, Hey, this is, this is these gangsters, uh, gold. If you, if you really want to put a fine point on it. Mm. Um, and then of course there's a big shootout at the end. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, JC says the, uh, I clicked the wrong one. JC says the real treasure was the friends we made along the way. Well, isn't it always? <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like this happens in 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 most movies. Yeah. Uh, it's the friends we make I along agree. the way. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Now, it's time to give out some homework for next week's big recommend, and that is mm-hmm. Chris's call this week. And what do you have? Okay. For us, uh, we're gonna do Jackie Brown. Ooh. Um, uh, Pamela Greer is Jackie Brown. Have you ever seen those? Have you ever seen those trailers? I remember getting so excited about this movie just based on the teaser trailers where they just Quentin Tarantino kept on saying, Pam Greer is. And then, <laughs> and then she comes down to the lock and says, Jackie Brown. And then Pam Greer is. And it's a different reading. And then uh. she goes, he goes, Pamela Greer is Jackie Brown. And you see it in the movie. It's, it's a brief shot of her going to the lock and going, Jackie Brown. Oh. <laughs> um, the live chat for that one will be March 1st. Uh, for a an episode that will be released on March 7th to the general public. There you go. Uh, okay, so then let we, we can talk about this, right? I think so. Okay, all right. Yes, so we we're going to do something different uh, after that episode. Jeremy and I are going to watch The Batman <laughs> on March 9th, on March 9th, and then we're going to do a show for it on that following the 14th that'll be the live show for that and then it will come out on the 22nd that will be the right yes i think you're correct um i could be i could be wrong about that too oh no no we we, we were doing this uh you know yeah i think that's right uh either way we're gonna once we get there we'll get there but we're gonna do to the batman and uh after that but the next one will be Jackie Brown, and uh, definitely uh, start watching that early. It's a pretty, it's like a little under three hours. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. but I, I, I swear to God, it's a really quick. Three oh man, hours. it moves! It moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's get into some questions. Question, question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I'm listening. All right, so uh, we're going to start with a question we got via email. We got a lovely email from. A listener, and uh, there are three criteria for this question. It's like a, it's like quiz show. You can take the third mm-hmm. part first if you want. Yeah, um, right. What movie makes you cry the most? What was the first movie that made you cry? Which movie made you cry most recently? Mm. Um, now, I don't know if I cried when I first watched this movie, but I would say that at this point, it's probably the movie that has made me cry the most, and it's Dead Poet Society, because... Ooh. There are two things in this movie that can make you cry. Um, and um, it's weird to me that there are people out there. I think Roger Ebert was one. And I even saw a YouTube thing where they think Dead Poet Society is trash for some reason. And I don't know why that is. Um, I guess to each his own. But I just, I, I'm surprised that, that it takes, you know, it's, it's, it ha- people have takes like that. Anyway, Dead Poet Society has two major moments, and and uh, you know, as I've gotten older, um, especially like at the very end, everybody's doing the "Oh Captain, My Captain" thing, and and that part uh, always gets me. Uh, that these guys would you know risk uh, exp- expulsion to uh, tell their teacher goodbye in this dramatic way at the end. Um, the first movie that may have made me cry, and I don't like, I don't remember, I don't mark these things down, but I feel like I teared up in glory 
when Denzel Washington is getting whipped in that scene, Ooh, and he Jesus. just stares at he just stares at the you know on the at the camera essentially uh, while that's happening. Um, uh, I don't know if Denzel Washington may may not have been as huge as a star as he was uh, when that movie came out. I right. seem like I knew him though. Even then, when I was 12 years old, mm. but like I, I believe that was one of his first really big. Like he'd been doing stuff throughout the decade, obviously, and he was on what General Hospital or some one of those. Saint Elsewhere, Saint Elsewhere, um, and uh, but uh, that that one for sure. And the most recent one is Coda. Coda's got that couple of scenes in it too uh, that uh, that make you tear up. So, yep. Well, yeah. and my answer for most recent is Coda as well. Um, mm-hmm. mostly because we reviewed it on this, we talked about it on this podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. That movie's probably always going to get me at the end. Uh, the first one that ever made me cry is probably, I honestly don't remember. I'm sure I was five or six or seven. Uh, I'm guessing it was either Old Yeller. I know I mm. cried at mm. Ratha Khan when Spock died. The first no, time yeah. I saw that, I would have been six or seven when that movie came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the one that makes me cry the most, uh, is about time with Donald Gleason. Oh yeah. 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 Um, where, uh, he can go back in time and, uh, there's a father son relationship in that movie that, well, it just hits me in the, in the right feels. And when that final mm-hmm. shot of them, they have one last moment together and he's like, well, what should we do? And it cuts back to them running on the beach like when he was mm-hmm. a little boy and oh i just like buckets of tears just come out mm-hmm. every time i see that one um yeah. <clears throat> all right let's move on to another question um all right what is the best film score from the last two to three years you know the one that stood out to me the most is um if bill street could talk um uh, i remember you saying uh, that yeah, it, it came out in 2018, but it's still basically a three-year-old movie at sure. this point. But um, that one, for some reason, that one was particularly affecting. I know that Jackie also had a pretty good uh, uh, score in it as well. But uh, If Bill Street Could Talk is the one that there's just, there's something magical about that score for me uh, that just stood out uh, um, among all the, the noise that you hear. Like I, I don't really notice scores until like, you know, um, until they're like really, really, really good. And, and uh, so that one just stood out to me. Yeah. Uh, good call. I, I'm going with power of the dog, a friend of the show. Yeah. Which was one. really unsettling. Um, you know, sometimes a score is moving, um, uplifting evocative of other emotions but this one is like anxiety inducing in all the best Mm. ways uh sometimes it's just noises that are going on in the background um but i noticed it uh both times i watched i noticed how much that was adding to my own uh experience uh of anxiety for the sake of the characters not my clinical anxiety Mm. um I thought that was a really effective score. By the way, uh, not that the final season of Game of Thrones is anything really to uh, be happy about whatsoever, but um, the score that went on throughout that mm. season was really good. Mm. Um, I remember being really amped and excited uh, for that, but like everything else, I was like, what? Huh? What, what was this? What was this all about? Mm. Um, mm. So, All right. Anyway. I like this question. Do you own any physical media? Do you own any physical movie media that you cherish more than the quality of the film would suggest due to personal connections or memories? Yeah. And, and and there's that caveat that's in this question that makes it harder for me to, um, Eh, to answer, screw the like, caveat. Yeah, I know, but the, I and I answered this. I answered Back to the Future. It's the very first VHS that I owned, mm. uh, Back to the Future, and I proceeded to watch the movie every day for two weeks, including like I twice in some days watched Back to the Future uh, because I had VHS. And I think this was in so the movie came out in '85. I think I got the cassette in either late '86 or '87, mm. and. Um, and I watched it every day. Um, 
you know, there are, uh, there are of course a lot of movies now that I buy very mechanically. I hate to say I buy them like, Oh, that's available. Okay. I got it. Sure. And, um, and, uh, and so like, uh, stuff that I own now, it's hard, but you know, if, if you want to go back into those, uh, VHS laser disc days, that's going to be the biggest one, I guess Pink Floyd, the wall, the movie is like, um, not the, not the greatest in you know it's it's abstract it's got great pink floyd music obviously in it but i i've never been a big fan the the i don't think the movie is like super great even though it's i think it's very highly rated on the imdb um but i would i would probably prize that one uh as if you wanted to go in with the caveat uh just more than usual because i used to play that tape a bunch um even though i wasn't a big fan of the movie it's the music and what you know that that i was a big fan of so all right i uh i'm gonna give you three answers because why not um mm. i still have a vhs uh of muppets take manhattan that i recorded <laughs> off of television uh there's no movie i've seen more in my life than this because there was a mm. four or five year period where i put this in probably every other day um it was it became like a like a security blanket to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would come home from school and pop it in. Um, <clears throat> but also, uh, there was this time in my life, right after my wife and I first got married, where we didn't have cable, and mm-hmm. I did not own a lot of DVDs or Blu-rays or anything. I <clears throat> just didn't have a collection at that time. I hadn't really started buying DVDs. And I, only, I had uh, I Am Legend and The Dark Knight. And... Because over the air was such poor quality reception, it was more fun to put in a movie than it was to those two in Finding Nemo. I probably, in a two year period when we didn't have cable, I probably watched those three movies 40, 50 times each. Uh, and I still have all of those DVDs, even though I don't use DVDs anymore. Mm-hmm. DVDs. That's a huge part of, uh, of watching those movies, right? Uh, the when you don't have cable or any other sort of distractions, those are always go to. And this used to be my thing. Like if I didn't have, I mean, I used to pop in movies all the time because, um, because I didn't either, either didn't have cable or there was nothing on cable that I particularly liked or watched or anything. Um, and, uh, so yeah, yeah, totally. All right. I'm going to do one last question and then we're going to wrap it up. Um, what are some of the worst character names in movies? Okay, so I know a lot of people love this that love this name for a variety of reasons. But huh. well, I've always thought that this is just a dumb, a stupid name, and it's too in your face. Pussy Galore oh, yeah. is just a terrible name, and and I'm pretty sure that when I first heard it, I probably laughed. But like, it's just come on. Even for Bond, this is just too much. This is just too much. Um, and so I, I, I've never really liked this, but I, I know people are fans of it. Also in the movie Lolita, of course, in the book as well, Humbert Humbert is the name of the main guy in that, uh, and that I find that extremely dumb and stupid, but, um, yeah, uh, as, uh, as my namesake, Chris Batkinson says, uh, Castor and Pollux Troy, uh is uh is a definitely horrible horrible name all right i I wrote down two uh aurora lane in passengers uh it just it's the kind of name that will never Mm. sound real in the world there probably are dozens of girls named aurora lane Mm -hmm. but that is a street um in a subdivision with cookie cutter houses. That is not a, a woman's name. <laughs> right. Uh, <clears throat> you don't get, you can have Aurora and then like Mitchell, like a normal mm. last name, or you can have like Susie Lane and have that be the last, but you can't have Aurora and Lane, or you've just gone into like children's storybook names. Um, mm-hmm. The other one I wrote down was Cho Chang from Harry Potter, which as mm-hmm. I understand it is the least Chinese sounding name and is <laughs> somewhat borderline, maybe subconsciously racist. Oh um, yeah. <clears throat> well, but just because it's, it's racist to make Asian sounds yeah, <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The thing that The Rock did that goes on Twitter every now and then. 
And that's yeah. what this name sounds like to me. It sounds like somebody doing a bad imitation of a Chinese person. Anyway, that's a terrible name regardless. Well, let me, let me, I'm sorry. Let me go over some of the chat's names too real quick. Oh yeah, please uh, do. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Christmas Jones. That's another bond. Uh, you know, uh, the world is not enough. Uh, Cole trickle from days of thunder. That, I actually thought of that one at one point, uh, but it sounded so much like other NASCAR drivers right. that it's, I was like, this sounds actually pretty good. Uh, Johnny Rico from Starship Troopers, Dewey Cox, uh, Long Duck Dong. Oh, oh my God. Oh, 16 Candles, um, right? I think 16 Candles. Um, uh, Memphis Reigns in Gone in 60 Seconds. Uh, and then you have uh, uh, Kingsley Shacklebolt in Harry Potter as well. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of bad ones for sure. Um, all right. So, yeah, now we're going to wrap this up. All right. So, homework for next week. Jackie Brown. Pamela Greer is Jackie, Jackie Brown. Brown. And uh, we thank you all for joining us here in the live chat. Um, I do believe that adds an element of fun, but also content to the show. Mm -hmm. uh, and we will uh, see you on, <laughs> what did we decide? Yeah. Uh, the, the first for our next live yeah. recording. First is our, our, our next one. Yeah, first is our next live recording. Uh, so, uh, yeah. All right. See you guys then. It's been great. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Be a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the Cinemasins Discord at discord.gg slash cinemasins or Cinemasins Twitter at cinemasins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinemasins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at cinemasins.com. And, and my flippy floppies. And my flippy floppy, blippy dippy doppy. It's the one year anniversary, not to the day, but they're playing the golf tournament that they were playing when Tiger Woods wrecked his car and jacked up his leg. Oh. And uh, he's, oh. he's the host of this tournament. And uh, he is again this year. And um, he gave a pretty grim outlook at the press conference. Like... He said, I can chip and putt pretty well, um, but the long shots aren't as easy, and there's no way I could walk a golf course right now. I imagine things don't extend as far as they used to, as far as like a trying to get rare back for a drive and all that. I yeah. mean, how many things do you use when you make a drive? It's like every part of your body almost. There was a t He said there was a time where they were thinking amputation. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> And uh, he's just happy to have his leg. And I'm like, wow, that's great. But I need to play golf again. <laughs> I was just reading about somebody today, and, and they were exactly my age. Oh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Ah, <clears throat> uh, yeah. And I was like, no, I'm, no. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He and I are not that age. We're both in our early 30s. To be to if if you want if you want to have something over DiCaprio, you're a year younger than he is. But <clears throat> oh well, I don't know. I don't know if a whole calendar year younger, but he was born in '74, I believe. Oh, that's great! Um, I just saw the number. It was said said 46, and that's my age. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, he'll be he'll be 48 this year. Yeah, fuck him. It really is adjustment bureau. Um, <sighs> I tweeted once that I had seen it twice and I couldn't remember it, and I was making a joke that I had been adjusted, but mm -hmm. people were like, no, that movie is just super forgettable. And I'm like, well, that's the, well, maybe that's it the is. Joke. That's why yeah. my joke didn't land, but yeah. That's right. That's when you, that's when you pull out the McBain uh, <laughs> meme. That's the joke. That's the joke. <laughs> that's the joke.